Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to triple A. My name's John, I'm your host, and this week we have the first episode of the 2022 GOATI season. We're going to talk about some games of the year. It's a pretty special list too. It is the games of the year as voted for by this podcast's patrons over on Discord. Everyone who is a patron of the show has been voting for their top five games of the year. I have taken all of the votes, added up all of the points, and we have a really strong list of five mentions, five runners-up, and a top five games of the year that were voted for by the listeners and patrons of this podcast. So I'm really excited to share that with you. Um, I'm also going to talk about a game from my own Games of the Year homework list. I've been working my way through a few games that I feel like I should have played. Um, I finished one of them almost accidentally this week, actually. I just started it, and before I knew it, it was over. It's the game that we're listening to some beautiful music from right now. It is Far Changing Tides, the sequel to the minor indie classic Far Lone Sales, a big favourite of this podcast. So I'm going to talk about that game too. I'm going to give it a little review, a little sneaking another one in here at the end of the year. So I'm going to talk about Far Changing Tides, and we've got that patron Games of the Year chart as well. Um, But before we get on to all that fun stuff, um, I've got a little bit of a roundup as well. There have been a few games that came out or that I've finally gotten to or tried out a little bit this week, so I'm going to run through some of those. I guess the big game that came out that seems to be getting the most traction online and that everyone's playing, partially because it came to Game Pass is High on Life, Um, and this is a game that I was incredibly sceptical about when I first saw a trailer for it. It is the first-person shooter made by Justin Roiland of Rick and Morty fame, and it is a comedy first-person shooter in which you, as a teenage earthling, are catapulted into a strange sci-fi world in that classic way that we know from shows like Farscape, if you've watched that, or more recently, Guardians of the Galaxy. So it starts off on a a normal suburban street, but the aliens attack, you're sucked up into a void, you pick up a talking gun that helps you through this alien invasion. Uh, The back of the gun, as you're holding it, has a face on it that talks to you and wisecracks as you're playing the game. It's a comedy game with um, pretty basic first-person shooter action, um, but the comedy is uh, relentless. The gun is always talking. And when I first saw this, I thought this is absolutely not for me. This is a silly humour. It's way over the top. Um, It's going to be like people shouting at you. It's like, I can't stand watching South Park, for example, because of all of the loud voices just braying out of the screen. (laughs) just does my head in. And so I thought High on Life is not for me. But because it's on Game Pass, I thought I will fire it up anyway. Um, So I downloaded it and played the first couple of hours, and to my surprise, I'm having an absolutely great time. The the jokes are hilarious. Um, I will give you one example from the early game. So early in the game, you have to go into the slums of a space station to find, you know, whatever, gang leader. Um, And on your way down there, in this dark pipe, where you're thinking, oh god, I'm going to be attacked this little asshole alien appears right in front of you and starts saying, you're going to die down here, you're going to die, and pushing you. You can't get past it. He pushes you and pushes you and pushes you until eventually all you can do in the game, really, your only verb, as they say, is to shoot. So eventually you're like, okay, I'm shooting this alien. 
Um, you pull the trigger and the gun screams at you, what the hell are you doing? Like, <laughs> I'm not shooting this kid. What are you, a psycho? So your gun is criticizing you for doing what the game is trying to troll you into doing. And then the game makes jokes about you being a psycho using the only verb that you have in the game, which is shoot. Um, this plays out again and again and again in really funny ways. Um, the gun is constantly wisecracking about the environment, getting alien translation errors and saying strange, surreal things. And it's your little companion throughout the game. Um, there are some times where it was a little too insistent. So I literally turned off the speaker to get through a level and then turned it on again. Um, there are boss fights. There are fun environments. It's eye-poppingly bright and colourful. So to my own surprise, I've been having a great time with High on Life. Um, you can turn up and down the amount of banter that you get whilst playing the game as well. So I've cranked that down a little bit. And I think I'm going to keep playing it, man. It's really fun. If you happen to be in search of a good time holiday game, then High on Life might be the one. It might be the one. It has got that that cartoon uh, fun thing going on. It's not at all wholesome. It's pretty uh, filthy, puerile humour a lot of the time. A bit um, early Simpsons-y, you could say. If you've seen Rick and Morty, you'll know the score. Um, that's High on Life. Um, I also dipped into, on the other side of the, the wholesomeness spectrum, a game that was up for the Games for Impact Award at the Game Awards. Um, I'd been meaning to try it out anyway. It is I Was a Teenage Exocolonist, developed by Northway Games and published by Finji, who published Chicory and a couple of other favourites of mine. Um, this one is more of a visual novel, but it does have some gameplay. Um, there is a top-down section where you take your little character and run around the screen and talk to people. Um, but the premise of this one is that at the start of the game, it starts with a dream sequence and then you wake up on a strange planet. Turns out you've been in hypersleep you are a teenager that was born halfway through a journey to a faraway star system. You've never been on a planet. You've never witnessed gravity or skies or vegetation outside of a spacecraft environment. Um, and you are an exocolonist. So humanity has moved away to an alien planet. And as a teenager, you have to go through your adolescence in that environment. So you run around, you talk to your school friends, you study you uh, work in the geodesic domes trying to help grow food. You ponder whether or not there are deadly aliens in the outside worlds. Uh, you grow older. There's a little time skip mechanism that keeps the time moving forward. Um, you choose what kind of person you want to be. Do you want to be a bully? Do you want to be shy? Do you want to be sporty and physical? Um, and every time that you engage in those activities, your little skill meters evolve just a little. So you're choosing what kind of person you want to be in this world. It's very, very mellow. It's got very soft art. Um, you'll see portraits of people that you're talking to appear on the screen, visual novel style. Um, you'll run around the compound and eventually I imagine you'll get out, although I haven't yet. And it's fun. It's very mild in a visual novel style. It's got that, that low effort plenty of reading, but quite soft-edged writing. It's quite cutesy writing, like your dad has like pet names for you, um, and all of your little child friends are pretty wholesome in their own ways, or they're just doing child things, whether it's trying to uh, intimidate each other, trying to win at sports, having rivalries and so forth. Um, but from what I hear, this one does unfold in interesting ways. It hasn't quite hooked me in the way that I was hoping, um, but I might well keep on playing. I was a teenage exocolonist. 
And finally, the third game that I played this week over on the Switch is Sword Ship. I've mentioned this one before in the December preview. It is developed by Digital Kingdom and published by Thunderful, who are absolutely killing it. Um, I covered another game by Thunderful, Wavetail, last week and gave it a great review. Um, Sword Ship's an interesting one. Um, I've written here as my little summary that it's a crisp and speedy downward-scrolling dodge-em-up. Um, so this one has a very clean, colourful, angular graphical style. You control a ship that looks like one of the, the racers from Wipeout, a very streamlined ship. You skate along the surface of water downwards quickly, very rapidly, um, in a fast-scrolling screen. It looks like a shoot 'em up but you can't shoot, so that's why I called it a dodge em up Enemies appear from the water in waves. You have to dodge their projectiles. Um, you can see where they are going to fire, and you can make them point their weapons at each other and blow each other up. Um, so you're turning their own weapons against them. Um, you have to catch containers that go by very quickly. And if you catch enough at the end of the level, you get power-ups, you get rewards, you get points. So all you have to do really is survive these quite short and snappy levels, a couple of minutes each. They come in clusters of three. Um, and then you get to a boss fight. And the first boss fight, which took me a few hours of fun gameplay to get to with quite a lot of deaths. It's one of those games where you die a lot and you restart quickly. Um, and it's very much about those short bursts of play. And it's quite action-packed. But then I got to the first boss and it is off-the-hook, difficult, balls-hard, and I just bounced on it almost immediately. Um, it has six different attack patterns that move insanely fast, um, and it just wiped the floor with me. I just closed the switch and put it down and thought, nope. Um, so my progress has halted on Swordship after a couple of hours of fun, um, and I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do. I don't know if I'm going to swallow my pride, um, see if I can get good, or if I'm going to take the L and just move on with my life. <laughs> I haven't quite decided yet. Uh, but that swordship, I think fans of uh, fast-paced, skill-based, and old-school retro shoot-em-ups might well have fun with swordship. And before we move on to the far-changing tides review and the games of the year, according to the Gaming in the Wild patron Discord, uh, let me just say, this is a patron-supported show. Um, if you are a patron already, thank you so much. Uh, patrons get access to the Discord, chat, talk, share games, etc. Recommend games for this podcast. Uh, talk about sales, talk about what's new on Game Pass, talk about what we're playing. You also get some bonus episodes and other fun stuff too. If you would like to become a patron, you can do things like voting on the games of the year and get all of that good stuff. You can do so at patreon.com slash gaming in the wild. I really appreciate every patron. It's only a dollar a month or more if you would like. So thanks very much to all my patrons, and thanks very much to you if that's something you would consider. Also, a big thank you to everyone that has been rating the podcast on Spotify and reviewing it on iTunes. It all helps for more people to find the show. Um, I really appreciate that. So thanks very much to all my patrons and to everyone who leaves reviews. I'll also quickly mention that I was on another podcast, Tales of the Backlog, this week. You can find it on any podcast service. I had a really good deep dive conversation about Inscription. It was my 2021 game of the year, and I only covered it on a Halloween episode. So thanks to Dave Jackson for inviting me onto that show to really get some closure and talk about Inscription. I will leave a link to that in the show notes. And with that said, let's move on to the featured game of this episode, Far Changing Tides.
I just had to let that music run. What a soundtrack this game has. Um, the soundtrack to Far Lone Sales, the prequel to this game, is one of my favorite of all time. The music is by Joel Shock. So this podcast is going to have some great music in it. I always love a good game soundtrack, and this is, again, one of the best. So Far Changing Tides came out in March of this year. It came out on Windows. It was a day one Game Pass release. It's now also available on Switch and on cross-gen Xbox and PlayStation. The developer is Okomotive. They consider this to be a companion title to Far Lone Sales rather than a sequel, although I would say it is best to play them in sequence, even if it's just for some small moments of recognition. It's published by Frontier Foundry. It's directed by Don Schmocker, and the music is by Joel Schock. Metacritic has this one at between 78 and 81, so it's getting around 8 out of 10. How Long to Beat has it at 5.5 hours and I completed it in almost exactly that time. There's not that much room for deviation, it's a very linear journey. And the developers describe it like this. An atmospheric vehicle adventure that follows the emotional journey of a boy and his ship as he embarks on a voyage to find a new home. Sail stormy waters, dive unknown depths, and explore forgotten ruins in a beautifully realized flooded world. And my take on this one, A welcome sequel to a minor indie classic, Far Changing Tides sees the player once more piloting a hulking vehicle from left to right through a ravaged post-climate environment. The sense of scale and motion can feel nothing short of miraculous, but some choppy puzzles stretched over a doubled runtime mean it's not always plain sailing. So it's a welcome sequel, I led with that. I didn't expect Far Lone Sails to ever get a sequel, and I adored that game. It was two hours long, this one weighs in, as I've said, closer to 5.5 hours, so it's triple the game, a few more mechanics, um, and it's stretched out over a longer runtime. Um, I did have a couple bumps in the roads, even though I had a really good time with it. But let's start at the start. Um, at the beginning of this game, you play a child, um, you wake up in a, a flooded town with these wooden houses on stilts. A lot of the town seems to have been washed away. Ground level is far beneath the surface of the water. And at first you can just paddle along from left to right, feeling very lost in this strange city, like a flooded Venice with wooden shacks everywhere. Clearly the scene of some kind of environmental disaster. Um, But before long, you find a machine that you can step into and it puts a diving suit onto your character. This enables you, when you jump back into the water, to jet through the water more quickly. A little helmet pops down over your head every time you go into the water. It allows you to breathe underwater indefinitely and you get a cute little propeller when you hold down a button. It jets you through the water in quite a pleasing way. Um, But that's not the main way you're going to be moving through this game, although there are times when you have to just go it alone and swim down to the bottom of something or climb up something to do puzzles. Um, But the main bulk of the game happens inside a giant vehicle. So you jet onwards in your newly acquired swimsuit and you find a huge, hulking, half-completed vehicle hanging in a hangar. Um, You solve a short puzzle to release it into the water and down it splashes. It goes rolling down a ramp, you run to catch up and hop into this vehicle. Um, And that's going to be your main means of travel in this game, this giant half-completed vehicle. Um, And so you start going from left to right, the music flares up poignantly, and your journey is beginning. You don't know where you're going at this point. You're headed towards an unknown destination, um, and all that you can really hope, looking at the state of this world, is that it's somewhere better than here.
the game looks beautiful right from the off. It's a 2.5D world, so houses behind you move in perspective. Things come into the foreground, um, the clouds in the sky swirl amazingly, and the whole thing looks great. You're moving through a really fully realized polygon world, lots of detail, quite a stylized art style. Um, but you'll see flooded houses, you'll see wildlife, such as deer running along the shore, birds in the skies. You'll go past collapsed factories. You'll see strange installations jutting out of the water. You'll see broken dams and floating evidence of people whose lives have been washed away. And above it all, there is a swirling, ominous sky. Um, and so you keep the machine going. That's the main activity of this game, is to keep the machine going from left to right. Um, you have to operate the engine, you have to operate the sails. Um, sometimes you have to stop at gates or blockages. You have to get out of the ship if you come to a wall you can't get past, or a closed gate, or some kind of collapsed structure. You might have to run up some cranes, your little character has to climb. Sometimes you have to dive down to the ocean floor, open a plug hole to drain out some water, or climb up a dam and operate a crane to move something out of the way. Um, and as you do this, you will find installations where you can install extra modules onto the half-finished ship, slowly getting it into a more complete form, um, such as putting a deck on the back, installing a little living environment, adding a sail, adding an engine, and adding various other functions that will complicate the process of running the machine, um, make the game more tricky to juggle all of these things you have to do. Uh, allows you to go faster, it makes the ship look better, and it's a really fun thing to see the ship coming together in that way. Um, ingeniously, somewhat, as you solve puzzles um, to get new modules for the ship, what you're actually doing in those puzzles is, is working that module. For, so, for example, if it's bellows to run the engine faster or hotter, you'll have to work the bellows in order to install that module on your ship. So you're having a little dry run every time you install a module that teaches you how to use it as part of your ship. It's pretty cool. I think that was quite clever. And there is a cutaway on the side of your ship. If you're zoomed out, you can see the whole ship. You're under control of the camera. Um, if you zoom in, there'll be a cutaway and you can see inside the ship. On the bottom floor, there are it's like a basement and there are some hooks where you can hang fuel kegs that you will find dotted throughout this world. You're going to need them to run the ship. In the middle floor, there is an engine room. You can jump to headbutt a button that will send that um, fuel into the furnace. Uh, you can then jump up and down on some bellows that bring up the heat of the engine. They'll start these giant sets of oars on the side of the ship moving. The engine will start to heat up. If it heats up too far, because you've been hitting the bellows too hard, on the top floor there is a hose pipe. You can spray water in the event of fire or to cool down the engine. Um, there is a way out onto the roof, and up there you can raise the mast. You can hoist the sails. Uh, by climbing up the mast and pulling a rope down to a switch. And then you can control the direction of the sails to catch the wind. Um, and these are really nice moments when you fired up the engine, it's roaring, the wind is high and sails have caught the wind, and the side sail pops out to indicate that you've caught the sail in the right direction. It's a bit like, like patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time, or like spinning plates. It's a balancing act. It's like a busy work, ongoing, puzzle. You have to just mind all of these different things at the same time. Almost too much sometimes, but always fun and just a real nice juggling act. And that's the, the center of the gameplay here. Get the ship running, keep the ship running, 
Don't let anything break. Keep all of the plates spinning and keep the momentum high. gameplay does keep you busy. It keeps you busy as you're traveling through this interesting world. You can see the clouds overhead, you can see the sea spray as your craft bashes against waves. Really good sound, really good feeling of momentum. Sometimes your craft goes from feeling huge and heavy and vast to just feeling like, like a wine bottle cork on a raging tide. Um, you can see oil rigs in the distance, you can see collapsed infrastructure, and all the time that you're moving, you're taking in the details of this world, and all of those details help you to piece together what has happened. It's a really good formula when it's working. You're doing the busy work. Um, sometimes you're just monitoring the sails, but all of the time you're watching the world go by. You're seeing the remnants of society. Um, and it's really good when it's working. Um, there are some unexpected additions to your machine. There is some nice progression. There are some story moments that break things up some exciting locations and unexpected turns of events. It's a wordless story, but there's always something to look at on the screen in this game. Um, the environments change, the weather changes, sometimes it's black and dark, sometimes the sun breaks through and the, the sea calms down. Um, so there's always something to look at, and it does a really good job of describing this journey that you're on. It's not all plain sailing. Um, I had some trouble with this game at certain points, and as I think back to Far Lone Sails, I think I did with that game too in retrospect. I think the overall aesthetic experience and the uniqueness of this journey made me gloss over a few frustrations that I had with that first game, but as I was playing this game, I did get some deja vu to some of the problems that I had with Lone Sails 2, and they are repeated here. Um, I would say that there is sometimes a lack of clarity in this game in several respects. I mean, I feel like a fairly observant, competent gamer, um, and I sometimes failed to read the visual cues that were on the screen. Um, there is a pennant that's supposed to show you wind direction. Um, I felt that sometimes it didn't read correctly. Um, it, it's sometimes blowing into the screen, sometimes blowing out of the screen, but all that you can really see is that it looks shorter so it's a bit of trial and error to find the wind direction. It's not quite the keenly observed response that I would have liked to give to the direction of the wind. Um, some puzzles are difficult in a bad way. They're not difficult because they are logically complicated or convoluted. They are difficult in a bad way in that you can't necessarily see all of the elements of the puzzle on the screen. Um, there is one puzzle where I spent 10 minutes just swimming around on the screen looking for what I was supposed to do pulling at handles that weren't working, um, all of that kind of thing. And eventually I realized there was a dock for the ship um, that I had just not read as a dock. I didn't realize I was supposed to dock my ship there. I had skipped a step. There was no sign that I was supposed to dock my ship there, and it wasn't a mechanic that had been introduced at any point during the game. And that had just been wasting my time. I had to look up a video online, and I just rolled my eyes because it just didn't read as a dock on the screen. It, it made me have a little flashback to Far Lone Sails. There's a moment in which... I couldn't make the ship do what I needed it to do. 
um, and I realized that you could pull out the tow rope on your landbound ship in Farlone Sails, and you could pull the ship really slowly. Um, and that was the solution to this puzzle. You just had to pull it for 10 meters, and then it would go down a lift or whatever. But we hadn't had to do that. We'd had no indication it was possible. Um, the ship doesn't read as pullable. It's huge, and you are tiny. So there is this problem of being able to read the game properly. Um, and that persists in far-changing tides. I will say that most of the puzzles are fairly easy to get through, but there was just a couple that acted as a, a stumbling block that just stopped my progress flat. And in a game like this, which is based entirely on momentum, forward motion, being forced to stop, um, to puzzle over something that just seems like you're missing something, then to have to look it up online just to get the ship going again, it's just bit of a, it takes the wind out of your sails, and I'm not sorry for that uh, pun, because it's the most accurate phrase for this possibly, it just felt a little deflated at that point. But for the most part, I had a good time with this game. I think the music is is absolutely leading in how good video game music can be. It's just spectacular, uh, jazzy, orchestral music with this, this Philip Glassy sort of signature on it. It just really leans into the momentum and the sense of freedom, the wind catching the sails, all of the best moments of the game. Um, happened with some great music and it's just with you throughout the game. It's another masterful soundtrack um, The graphics are simple but effective. The art style is good. I loved the 2.5D It was used very effectively with things swinging into camera and things passing in the distance You got this road trippy feeling of watching the world go by um, And at its best moments you get a sense of quietude in both of these games You get the sense of being on a vast journey into the unknown a sense of scale you are so small and your ship feels so big but in this world the ship feels small eventually too just gives you a sense of your place in the world in a very effective way um, the visual storytelling is excellent learning what happened to this world noticing clues piecing it all together bit by bit a wordless story done well i loved seeing the abandoned industrial buildings the crashed ships of other people who were also trying to escape the flooding that had decimated towns the dams that had broken um, and keeping the vehicle moving has a satisfaction to it through all of this carnage just the pleasure of running the engine learning the workings juggling the tasks fuel for the furnace running the bellows the engine heat running the sail in the wind direction and coming outside of the vehicle being able to swim rapidly through the water felt really good too so I think they did a good job with this. While it's maybe not as quite as good as the first game in my view, which just felt a little shorter and a little mechanically tighter, I will say that people that liked Farlone Sales will most likely find something to enjoy in this game. I would say it's one to save for the right mood. I played it on a Sunday afternoon when I was a little tired, settled back into the sofa. It's had a slightly melancholy, slightly relaxed, relaxing the eyes, just looking at the screen taking it all in. The right mood finally came. I've been sitting on this one since March, so the right mood took a while to come, but if you do feel that mood, that Sunday afternoon meditative experience kind of mood, this game could really hit the spot. Um, I'm really curious to see what Okomotive will do next. Um, I hope that they will step outside of this far framework now. These two games are very nice. 
Um, I wonder if they will do a third one and do a trilogy. The ending of this game suggests that perhaps this little cycle is complete. Um, and I would be curious to see what else they would make, but these two far games are just little treasures, really. And whilst they might not be perfect, um, they're just really nice indie games. I think they're quintessential indie games. They do something unusual. Um, they look unusual, feel unusual. It's a gameplay mechanism I hadn't quite felt before. They are small, you know. Lone Sales is about two hours long. This one's about six. So they're games that you can do in one or two sittings. Um, and I did enjoy this one overall, despite those little niggles that I had. That's Far Changing Tides. Now it's time for something that I've been really looking forward to doing. It's the Gaming in the Wild Patrons Games of the Year list. This is the first year that we're doing this, and I'd like to say thank you to Grabloid, who is a patron of this show and active on the Discord. He messaged me and suggested this. He said, why not have a little vote? We can count up what everyone liked and have a patron um, top games of the year. And it was such a great idea. The people that are on the Discord are absolutely neck deep in gaming culture. They're trying out everything. I learn so many games from the patrons telling me about games in Discord. And um, we have so much fun just playing the new releases, recommending things to each other. Um, everyone has different opinions about lots of different games, you know. There's lots of people that like all kinds of games. There's some Pokemon fans, there's some Souls-like fans. There are text adventure fans, there are people playing the Assassin's Creeds and the, the biggest open-world AAA games, playing the God of Wars. People play everything, just very curious, open-minded, tasteful bunch. And so it was really fun just to see these votes rolling in. Um, and we have a chart here, um, but I'll tell you how it worked. So each patron of the show was given a chance to vote in a, a Google form. Um, they voted from one to five. And the way that I worked this out is that if a game was placed first, I gave it 10 points. If a game was placed second, it got eight, third, it got six, fourth, it got four, and five, it got two. So it's tilted towards games that people placed first. Games that people placed first got bumped up the list, got extra points and little boost. Um, but some of the games on here, um, they really, you know, several people picked them in third and fourth place and they powered up the chart just from having more votes in lower positions. So it worked out quite interestingly. Um, the main game of the year uh, ran away with it a little bit, um, but there were several indies that uh, did incredibly well. Um, at the bottom here, we've got like a few mentions. So there were about 30 games overall, but several of them just, you know, had two points or one vote. So I trimmed them down. I trimmed it down to 15. It felt right somehow. There was like a cutoff point where things just started, you know, they had four points only, whereas there were other games that had 50 or 30, etc. So I've trimmed it down. Um, and let's start off by running through some of these mentions. And all of these games just got a couple of votes each. And funnily enough, at the very bottom of this list is none other than Far Changing Tides, the game that I have just reviewed. It got a couple of votes, and people did talk about it. I remember there being a little swell about this one, a swell of appreciation at the start of the year. Being on Game Pass does mean that people in the Discord will play the game, and I will always try something on Game Pass just because of the easy access and not having to, you know, not having to buy it to take the risk. So I think being on Game Pass is really helpful, actually. So Far Changing Tides got a little bit of love. Um, Cult of the Lamb also falls into this section. I will say I was a little surprised that it didn't place higher, 
But then, you know, when I look at my own list, Cult of the Lamb is in my own honourable mentions as well. So, you know, I, th I feel the same about it. It was a really good game in a really strong year. Uh, Marvel Snap got a couple votes here too. So there were a couple of people snapping in the Discord. Um, Haiku the Robot, the, uh, the kickstarted mini Metroidvania in the Game Boy graphical style. Um, really, really cool little game. I reviewed that one earlier this year. That got a little bit of love here too. And God of War Ragnarok fell into the mentions. Um, I played that one recently and gave it a middling review, uh, maybe even leaning towards a bad review, but it got a couple votes here. There were some people that liked it, but it's interesting that it didn't break the top 10. And there was, strangely, a little bit of a tie for the bottom places of the next section of this chart. This is the runners-up. We've had the honourable mentions, and now we have runners-up. And we don't have five. It was supposed to be games 10 through 5. But there was a tie in bottom place, a three-way tie. So we've got three ninth-place games here. Um, the first one is Triangle Strategy. This game only got one vote, but it was a first-place vote. And that was enough for it to scrape in here. Um, and I think that that's good. I think that if someone is passionate enough about a game for it to be first place, then yeah, why not? Let's have it in the chart. Um, this was voted for by Dave C. And he said on Triangle Strategy that it's a superb tactics game with great presentation and some truly stunning story moments. So Dave C, you did good. Your, your little baby, your first player's game made it into the top 10. The next two games are also games that just uh, made it through a couple of votes each. Oli Oli World was another game that someone voted first. This one was voted for by Pokekid Blake, who said, I've talked a lot about this game in the Discord. It's the best 2D skateboarding game ever to exist. It's very accessible and can meet any player at any level. The world is goofy and fun, and it's just a game full of joy and light. Also, the more I played it, the better I got, and I was able to engage with it more and more. I think it's really awesome when games do that. Um, so, Poke Kid Blake, thank you very much for the Oli Oli World vote of confidence. Um, several people played this one in the Discord, actually, and from what I hear, it's one of those games where you can play against friends, get better scores, get better times, and there have been people that have been friends on Switch or friends on whatever console they're playing on They've been charting and competing to try and get the best scores and the best times and so forth. Um, I'm just waiting for Oli Oli World to either pop up on Game Pass or to be on a, a really good sale. Um, so I'm going to give that one a try too. So thanks very much, Pokekid Blake, for your vote. You got into the top 10. And the third game in this little series is Immortality, um, a game that has placed quite low on this list. But um, it was on Game Pass, but I think that the format of the, um, the full motion video and the unusual gameplay that this game has put some people off. I think it's got a presentational problem. People like to control a character and stuff. And the idea of sifting through footage doesn't feel like gameplay. Most of the time in games, you are controlling someone. And this one has a really interesting uh, voyeuristic style, I suppose. It got some praise here from JazzNZ, who praised its innovation and ambition as an extension of the full motion video genre. And from here on in, we're starting out now at number eight. This one got some... It's one of those games that scraped through by getting more votes in lower brackets, but it got several. It's Vampire Survivor. Lovely to see this one in the top ten. It's such an unusual presence this year, Vampire Survivor. Just the, the, the lo-fi visuals, the completely new feeling, but such simple gameplay... Um, the addictive power-up systems and the rewards that you get, the fruit machine aspect of it all, just the, the vast escalation 
of power that the player experiences in this game is just so satisfying. It's an absolutely compulsive game. I'm really happy that it made it in here. Um, at number seven, we have Horizon Forbidden West. I'm really happy to see this game here. It's um, the first AAA game that we've got on this list. Um, and I think it's the only AAA game. Mm -mm, there is one more up at the top there, but I'm not going to spoil it yet. But Horizon Forbidden West is probably the most expensively made, the most lavishly made, and the most widely advertised and well-known game on this list. Um, it's really nice to see it here. It got, it got several votes, and it scraped into the top 10 at number 7. Number 6 was One Person's Game of the Year, and that is Tunic. This was a divisive game. I think um, lots of people loved it. Lots of people really bounced on it hard. Um, but one person's passion for this game, placing it number one, really jetted it up this list. Um, the person who voted for it in first place was Soccer Chick. And they say, I've never come around so hard on a game. I was ready to uninstall at the perceived tedium of the combat. And less than an hour later, the gameplay just clicked. The sense of discovery and revelation as I progressed is nearly unmatched by any gameplay experience I had this year, and the visuals and music were gorgeous, um, and they give far-changing tides an honourable mention. So thanks very much to Soccer Chick for championing Tunic. They did get some other votes to high on people's list, so there were several people that clicked with Tunic. Um, it's nice to see it on this list. It's an indie game that I wanted to love but didn't, um, and I'm really happy for everyone that did enjoy it, and a little bit jealous, I will add, too. So that's numbers 10 through 6, and now let's head into the top 5. Number five is a game that I was really happy to see get so much acclaim. It got a total of 20 points. Um, several of those were from third place, second place, and first place placements. It is the Pikmin-like bundle of fun that is Tinykin. And the person who loved this one the most was Grabloid. They placed it first. It is their game of the year. And Grabloid has to say about this one. I've been saying there's a death match for game of the year happening in my mind between Tinykin and Elden Ring. I'm not sure who actually wins the deathmatch, but I'm calling it for Tinykin, because it is a criminally underexposed and underplayed video game. It is the funnest time I had playing games all year, and it's one of the best 3D platformers in recent memory. Pure and simple video gaming joy. I was smiling the whole time. I absolutely agree. Grabloid also added, what a great year for games. There are so many that I was not able to get to yet. My backlog runneth over. Um, mine does too. Yeah, thanks for placing Tinykin at the top there. I was really happy to see it jetted up the charts, and I was really happy to see that a bunch of other people had played it and enjoyed it too. Again, I think being on Game Pass probably helped this one with the exposure, um, but I'm surprised that it wasn't in the Game Awards in the Best Family category. It seems like the best Nintendo game of the year wasn't made by Nintendo. That's been the line that I've been saying to people. So I'm really hoping that we see a little bit more appreciation for Tinykin um, in the Games of the Year season. But it's lovely to have it here. At number four, we have a game that I was championing hard earlier this year. I'm really happy to see it here. I didn't know if anyone had played it or not, really. It is Norco, the, um, the deep, swampy, text adventure, point-and-click, pixel art, intellectual, weirdo, environmentalist, near-future RPG story. Uh, made by Yutz and Geography of Robots, the developers who I interviewed on this very show earlier this year. 
Norco got 22 points. It was um, voted for in third place by several people. It got most of its points there. It's one of those games that almost everyone had somewhere on their list and it, and it got into the top five. Really happy to see Norco there. And I think of Norco this year as existing kind of side by side with the next game on this list, Citizen Sleeper, another game that I was overjoyed to see here. It's in third place. And Dovetail True 17 voted for it for their game of the year. They said on Citizen Sleeper, it's a new genre of sorts for a video game. Phenomenal writing and interesting characters made investing limited dice rolls for story payouts a brilliant hook. Um, and Dovetail True also gives a little bit of a statement here. They say indie games are more mainstream than ever thanks to game subscription services, but this has brought one issue in particular to light. Indie game lovers have felt for a long time the dilemma of abundance. Lots of great games within reach of more and more gamers. It's a good problem to have, but it contributes to the anxiety of the FOMO generation. Perhaps there will be a rise of content curators to make all the content more palatable, like a good sommelier who can just pick the right wine from the menu of dozens for an individual taste. Could we see the rise of this in the world of gaming? Um, I think absolutely yes. Yeah, I think content creators, I think um, help with that. I think um, I listen to lots of YouTube shows. I've got my own sources that I go to. I will always pay attention to games that uh, Jacob Geller is playing on YouTube. Um, I listen to podcasts like the So Video Games podcast and the Short Game podcast um, and paying attention to shows like The Easy Allies and The Min Max Show. I think that there's a lot out there. I think that the content creation world is kind of built on that to some degree. But as for the individual taste thing, you know, I do wish that there were more people out there that more closely aligned with my own taste so I could find more games, find the best games, the games that, you know, the games that you don't want to miss. So I hope so too. I think that there are a lot of content creators out there in the world. There's a lot of games media to glom onto. Um, and finding the right people that have the same taste as you is, you know, it's a joy when it happens, that's for sure. And I found out about a lot of good games that way. And that takes us up to number two. Only two games left in this top 10. It's been a great list so far. Again, the second game on this list, a game that I was really happy to see here. It got 38 points in total, including one first place vote, and it is Stray. This one was voted for in first place by FJ2109, aka Justin, who lives in Sydney, Australia. And Justin has to say on Stray, it's a fantastic and singular game. I loved everything about it. Exploring as a cat was a stunning and unique experience. I think I'll buy the physical version for posterity. And I feel exactly the same, actually. I've been looking at physical versions online and um, thinking it might be a nice game to own. Um, I played Stray on PlayStation Plus. It was the, the game that made us all so optimistic about PlayStation Plus being a Game Pass rival back at the start of the year. And Stray really was a game that did not disappoint. It's such a beautiful, juicy world. All of that neon, all of that space, the low camera angle running around at cat height, and just the catness of it all. But there's so much to love about this world, the androids, the, the strange rituals that they have based on old human behaviours, the verticality of it all, and just slipping through little windows, and the amazing level design that seemed to lead you to these tiny, tiny cat-sized holes in walls and stuff that are almost invisible, but just the way that the levels were designed so well led the eye and led the movement. The movement worked with the environmental design, I think Stray is absolutely masterful. I think that it's been a little diminished in the public conversation lately. Loads of people were mad that it got those um, Game of the Year awards at the Game Awards. 
Um, it won the indie game and the best debut indie game, beating Vampire Survivor. A lot of people seem mad at Stray, but honestly, it's one of my games of the year too. I'll be talking about it more this month. So thank you very much for Justin. Thanks to everyone who voted that one up the list. Really happy to see it there. So Stray got 38 points, very respectable showing, a first place vote, several in third, second, fourth and fifth. Stray is the only game, I think, that got a vote in all five places, but it still wasn't enough to beat the runaway juggernaut first place game of the Gaming in the Wild patron discord. It is, of course, let's see if you can guess from the music. Yep, that's right. It's Elden Ring. It's the the consensus game of this year. It ran away with it in this chart too, as it is everywhere else in the the content creation and games media worlds. It got 68 points, almost double that of Stray. It was voted for in first place by six different people, and it also got votes throughout the spectrum. There's a whole bunch of quotes about it here. Real Dave Jackson says, No game captured my curiosity, rewarded me for exploring, or dominated the zeitgeist like Elden Ring. Uh, Hopple said, fantastic design for this huge world, the buildings and creatures. Exploring the world gave me breath of the wild feelings. Jazz NZ said it was compelling and huge. And BC, she said, um, as a longtime souls junkie and a breath of the wild fan, this game could have been tailor-made for me. And there is no arguing with it. Elden Ring hit the zeitgeist this year, and it is the Gaming in the Wild patron discord number one game of 2022. So there you have it. The Gaming in the Wild Discord has spoken, and the consensus game for the 2022 game of the year in the Gaming of the Wild patron Discord is Elden Ring. I'm sure you'll be hearing more about it in the coming Games of the Year episodes as I have more guests on to talk about their games of the year too. Um, I'm hoping to have on uh, Brian Skersha from Pixelated Playground, Louis from Time Played Tree HR, and Kieran Daly, friend of the show and editor of the Radical Art Review, Um, I'm also hoping to get a few more extra guests in over the holiday period. I'm going to see how we get on. Um, But before I finish up here, we also got a couple of just really nice heartwarming quotes from some of these patrons of Gaming in the Wild. So big thank you to you guys for um, filling me with enthusiasm for continuing the podcast, for showing your appreciation for this podcast. Um, for sharing all of the game recommendations that you share, for making the Discord one of the most warm and welcoming places I have found on the internet to talk about games. I would like to say a big thank you to all of the patrons, and thank you for voting too. I'm going to finish with a couple of quotes. Uh, Justin said, "Uh, Thanks so much for everything, John. I never tire of listening to you talk about video games. Love your work and appreciate you muchly. Well, thank you very much, Justin. I appreciate your enthusiasm and your good vibes too. And that goes for all of the patrons in the Discord. And B. Sushi said, My gaming thing of the year that isn't a video game is the Gaming in the Wild Discord. I've learned a lot, had great discussions, and met a lot of wonderful people. Um, that's a really nice note to go out on, so thank you very much for B. Sushi for joining the, uh, the Discord and for being a really active presence there too. 
So a big thank you to all the patrons, including Rachel, Flatout Fox, B Sushi, Andre, Blake, Pre-Order Bonus Podcast, Dave Jackson, Adam, Snegu, Aaron, Justin, Nicholas, Sokachik, Travis, aka Grabloid, Eric, Costas, Christian Haynes, Jazz, Brad Galloway, Zuhan, Lockie, Dave, Narita Boy, Curlsburgers, Major General, Lisa Chicarello, Richard, New Dawn Games, Jason, Hopple, Timothy, Andy Sophia, Ashley, Matthew, Reagan Kelly, and Angela. Thank you all very much for supporting the show, for making 2022 a great one. Um, and thank you very much to you for listening. You can come and find me on Twitter, on social media, on Instagram, on YouTube, and elsewhere as Gaming in the Wild. I love to chat games, so come and tell me what you're playing. Come and tell me what your games of the year were. Um, you can also rate the show on Spotify and Apple. I always really appreciate that. If you would like to become a patron yourself, you can do so at patreon.com slash gaming in the wild and come and join us in discord and vote for next year's game of the year as well Uh, but thanks very much for listening i'll be back next week with a new podcast a games of the year episode take care of yourselves and each other and bye-bye for now